Hey guys, before we get stuck into today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, and that is Unify Health Supplements. Unify have the most premium, high-quality, science-backed products on the market in Australia today, and you guys can use the code TFLP to save 10% off your next order at unifyactive.com. Unify has a range of products, including whey protein isolate, plant-based protein, a pre-workout, creatine monohydrate, and their best-selling product, the Hydration Formula. So again, use that code TFLP to save 10% at unifyactive.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, we are joined by a past guest of the show, one of the most shared episodes on the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, and a guest that I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with. Um, and I'm super excited to have him back on today, Dr. John Demartini, who is a world-leading human behavior specialist, researcher, best-selling author, educator, and founder of the Demartini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. He has authored over 40 books that have been translated into 39 different languages and presented his insights alongside some of the world's most influential people, including Sir Richard Branson, Deepak Chopra, and many others. Harnessing almost five decades of research across multiple disciplines, Dr. Demartini shares his life, business, financial, relationship, and leadership empowerment strategies with people all over the globe, enabling them to transform their lives according to their highest values. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you head to the show notes to find the free masterclass that Dr. John Demartini has gifted the listeners of the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast on how to use your seven greatest powers to your full advantage and awaken your unique genius. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Uh, Dr. John, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to have you back on. Uh, as we were just chatting about before I hit record, the episode we recorded in 2021, I think, has been one of our most shared episodes, and a lot of people have, have taken some value from that conversation. So thanks so much for joining us again today. Thank you. I'm the one that's uh, blessed, so thank you. How have you been, mate? I've been doing great. I've been uh, busy, busy, and uh, busy, you know, doing what I love doing, teaching, researching, writing, and traveling. Fantastic. In our first conversation, we really dived into the importance of understanding your values. We also obviously touched on a lot around the law of attraction, uh, which a lot of people resonated with and, as I said before, took so much value from. Something that I've been finding lately and a lot of questions that I've been getting is around purpose and how to find your purpose or, you know, in the way that you put it, how to find your or tap into your unique genius. I'm assuming this is something that gets asked um, a lot for you. Is there is there a way that you're able to explain to the listeners and those that are watching this episode around how to really figure out your purpose or how to figure out what your unique genius is? I was presenting the Breakthrough Experience program, which is one of my signature programs in London a few years back. And on Sunday afternoon, the second day, we address what you would call your inspired mission, your purpose in life. And there was a lovely lady there who was struggling to define it, what she felt she was called to do. Majority of people went tackling away at it and started editing a, a statement 
but she was having struggles. So she said, well, Dr. Martin, I just don't know what my purpose is. I just don't, I just don't know. And I said to her this, what do you do on a daily basis, spontaneously, that you love doing, that nobody ever has to remind you to do, and you're reliable and focused and disciplined to do it? I says, I don't know. I just, I'm, I just don't, I said, no, no, stop. Stop ranting. Stop telling me how you don't know. Because most people who have difficulty saying what they don't know, or saying that they don't know, is because they're comparing themselves to others and devaluing what they think it is because of a comparison and clouding the clarity of what that is by the injected values of other people that they're comparing themselves to. So I'm not interested in what you think it ought to be, what you think it should be, or what you wish it would be, or what you hope it will be. I'm interested in what your life is already consistently demonstrating because your life is consistently doing it. It's already doing it. So what exactly is it that you're doing on a daily basis that inspires you, that you love doing? And she says, being with my children. I said, do you fill your space with your children? She goes, my children are around me most throughout the day. Do you spend most of your time with your children? Yes. Being around them, is that energizing to you? Yes. When you get money from whatever the source is, is a lot of money going towards your children? She goes, absolutely. Are you most ordered and organized in your structure of interaction with your children? Yes. Are you most disciplined to do it? Can we rely on you to be with your children and take care of them? She goes, yes. Do you think about, visualize, and internally dialogue about your children and what you see for them in the future? Is that what dominates your thinking and your vision and what you say to yourself and talk about? She's, yep. When you're around other people, is it what do you, do you talk about your children mostly? Is that what you bring the conversation to? She says, yep. Is that what inspires you, seeing them grow and mature and tackle new projects and do new things? She goes, yep. The most consistent goals that you've persevered with and been focused on for long term, is it all related to your children? She goes, afraid so. I said, and when you study and you read and learn or go online and watch YouTube or whatever, is a lot to do with rearing children? She goes, you got me. I said, have you given yourself permission to be an amazing mother dedicated to raising beautiful children that are going to do something extraordinary with their life? And she started crying. Just started crying. I said, Rose Kennedy of the Kennedy family, when I found a book that was given to me as a gift that had her handwritten mission statement in it, said, I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. That was her mission statement. And she went on to do that. Do you have a, a dream to go out and do something extraordinary and have your children do something extraordinary and have an amazing life? She says, that's all I've dreamed about. And she just burst into tears. That's all I've dreamed about. I said, the only reason why you're questioning your mission is because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Who do you think that is? Mm. She says, I think I, I know. I have a friend who's a woman who's got two kids, but she's a businesswoman and she's got this really significant business. Now she's got people helping her with her kids, but she's raising her kids. And I was comparing myself to that. No matter what I do, I can't seem to get a business off the ground. I said, you have a hierarchy of values and your children 
are at the top. In her case, they're not. They're bus- the business is at the top and children are second. And she goes, well, that's probably true. I said, if you compare yourself to somebody else, you're going to beat yourself up. You're going to question yourself. As I, Albert Einstein said, if you're a cat trying to swim like a fish, you're going to beat yourself up. If you're swimming a, a fish trying to climb a tree like a cat, you're going to beat yourself up. And you're going to pretend like you don't know what it is you want. But if you honor who you are, the magnificence of who you are is far greater than the fantasies you'll impose on yourself. And is there somebody else you're comparing yourself to? Yeah, another woman. And what does she do? Well, she's got a social cause and she's got a charity. And I feel like I'm not really making a contribution. I said, but do you envision literally on a daily basis having a charity? No. Do you envision and think about and read about and focus on business? Not really. But your kids, it is. She goes, that's everything to me. She says, is that enough, though? I said, the only reason why you're questioning it's enough is not because of your own actions, but because of your comparison to other people. As long as you put them on pedestals, you're going to put yourself in a pit. And then you're going to lie to yourself that you don't know what it is that you want to do. But the truth is your life is demonstrating it on a daily basis. Your innermost dominant thought becomes your outermost tangible reality. And your innermost dominant thought is your children. And you're not honoring the magnificence of being a mother in this world today. And believe it or not, we're having a decline in population and we're going to need mothers in the future in many up to developing countries. So let's not degrade that and think that as secondary. There are seven areas of life. You have a spiritual quest and intellectual quest and business quest and financial quest and family quest, and social quest, and physical health quest. None of them are greater or lesser. And the world needs a whole spectrum of all of them. And you are a chosen one dedicated to raising a beautiful family of beautiful children. And she cried. She ran up to me. She gave me a big hug. And she says, that's all I've ever wanted to do all my life. Thank you for giving me permission to be what I really want to be. I've been comparing it, not honoring who I am. I said, you've just nailed the reason why you think you don't know your purpose in life. It's because of comparison. As long as we compare ourselves to others, we won't honor the magnificence of our own calling inside. So that's one of the biggest reasons why people have cloudiness and not clarity about what they feel called to do in your life. But deep inside their hierarchy of values is whispering and trying to come to the surface and share the message. Those with the mission have a message and a vision and they want to share it. So I love helping people break through the illusion that they don't know and help them see what's true inside their heart that they want to dedicate their energies to. Their life is demonstrating. Don't look anywhere else. Look at what your hierarchy of values dictates and look at what your life is demonstrating and it will reveal what's important to you. Yeah, I think that'll hit home for a lot of people. Well, the question that I have around that and I think a lot of people will be thinking this is for someone who figures out what their kind of unique genius is and they have that realization that, hang on, this is what I'm spending all my time doing. This is what I spend all my day thinking about when I wake up in the morning before I fall asleep at night. But then they can't seem to pair that with with something, let's say, in terms of, of having a, a financial security, right? So someone who has this passion or they understand that this is their mission, but they don't know the next steps in order to to make that something that they can actually live off, right? Because I, I think for a lot of people who who pair what their passion is or what their unique genius is, it's hard to figure out how that is going to lead to some form of career or something that they can live off for the rest of their life and, and impact other people if it seems like it's a, a far stretch at the moment. So 
are there steps or a piece of advice you could give to someone who can't see how that's going to, um, I guess, turn into a career or, or allow them to be financially safe or free? Well, that's a very important question that is addressed every week in the, in the breakthrough experience. Uh, and this is going to shock people and it's may not be what they want to hear, but it's not really what it's about. Me trying to tell them what they want to hear all the time, but every human being has a set of priorities and set of values in their life. And it's a hierarchy of values, things that are more to list less important. My case, mine is teaching, then researching and writing, then traveling, and then, you know, building wealth and then comes social and interactions and relationships. So my highest value is teaching. I do it every day, 50 plus years now. So nobody has to remind me or motivate me or inspire me or, you know, incentivize me to get up and do what I love doing. But if you have a high value on a particular thing and you don't have a value on business or administration or management or financial management, then to expect yourself to develop a business doing something that you love is not as reasonable because you're not going to actually get around mm. to doing it. You'll keep having blocks up unless you do two things. And I, and I hope everybody writes this down or remembers this because this is something I really hone in on the breakthrough experience. Either go do what you love through delegating or temporarily love what you do through linking. Either go do what you love through delegating through or, or transiently, temporarily go love what you do through linking. So you two, have two ways of managing that. One is finding somebody who absolutely loves to do the business management, the business marketing, the administrations, and all of the components that grows a business and stick to what you love doing. And that first requires that you find a niche in the marketplace where what your talent is has a need. You know, I always ask yourself, what is it I would absolutely love to do? How do I get beautifully and handsomely paid to do it? What are the highest priority actions I can take today to make it happen? What obstacles might I run into and how do I solve in advance? What worked and what didn't work today? How can I do what I do more effectively and efficiently tomorrow? And how did, no matter what happened, how did it get me one step closer to that objective? And if you do that and pursue that and literally think out a strategy, but see, if you don't have a value on business, you won't take the time to put a strategy together and you'll be frustrating yourself. But if that's not your area of expertise, then let's find somebody who has an area of expertise and let's find a strategy on how to build a business plan that will produce allowing you to do what you do best. And don't try to do things that are not. I don't do administration and management and all that in my business. If I did, I'd be weighed down. I wouldn't be inspired by what I do. I teach, I research, I write, I travel. That's it. But I have somebody that takes care of administration things. And people say, well, yeah, but you're wealthy. You can afford to do it. No, <laughs> I got wealthy because I did it. <laughs> because that mm -hmm. way I was inspired to want to go out and research and teach but I don't want to sit down and do administration. I haven't written a check in my business for 41 years. I don't even know what a checkbook or check connections or electronics. I don't have, I've not done that in 41 years. 
At 27 years old, I read a book called The Time Trap by Alec McKenzie, and I realized you don't want to do anything that requires motivation from the outside. You want to find somebody that is inspired spontaneously to do what you want to delegate and get on with what you, your expertise is. And then make sure that the expertise you have truly serves people enough where people want to pay for it. Or you want to make sure that you modify what you're inspired to do in a way that is deeply meaningful, that serves people. And that's sometimes nothing more than the way you word it. You know, really incredible mm -hmm. communication language can take something that you would think wouldn't sell and sells. So it's a matter of articulating what you do in a way that meets people's needs so they can capture the vision that you hold and allow you to do what you love doing. And that's a skill. And that can be hired and delegated. And it, what's amazing is if you do that, you liberate yourself. I have a friend who... Uh, who really wanted to do a particular art. That's it, martial arts. Well, he's got a franchise today, but he doesn't run them. All he does is train martial artists. That's it. The rest of it's done by somebody mm -hmm. who is a master in doing franchise. He found a person who would do franchising. He found somebody that was good at business management and, and organizing and floating companies and putting things together. And he worked a deal with them he went out and did some homework and found out what are other franchises in the martial arts field, got some business models together, put the thing together. This guy gets a cut. He gets a very good percentage of it, 39% of the company. And he went out and built the company while he went out and trained martial arts and just did martial arts, meditation, and training martial artists. That was his skill. He would never have gotten financially viable. He's a multimillionaire today, but he would never gotten financially viable if he hadn't linked up with somebody who would love to do that unless he could mm. see how putting his focus on business was going to allow him to do that. But I don't think that would have worked. I think delegating yeah. it was the wisest way because his real love was martial arts and training people in martial arts. Do you think, do you think for someone who's in the early stages, they've found their, their unique genius, they know what their niche is and they maybe don't have a value on business yet. Is there an important, how much importance do you place on someone starting to value business at least to some extent to learn at least the foundations of business or you think you should just delegate right from the start? Often when you when you talk to entrepreneurs or people within business, it's it's not necessarily trying to be the main guy or the main girl in terms of, of running the show with the business, but it's also having at least a, a base level understanding of how things work. How much importance do you place on that? Well, I don't know if I can make it a, a blanket statement because it's individualized, but I, yeah. I, I know a couple, two guys. One was the people person and one was the business person. And one could go out there and schmooze and talk to people and communicate, and they were really good at, at engaging people. And the other one was able to close the deals and, and do the closing of the finances and and deliver the goods and and so one was not that great with people. The other one was incredible with people. And that one with people were out there, you know, exposing and being out the front. The other one's behind the scenes. So it depends on that individual. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say that you have to have business savvy because I know some people that, you know, gradually pick up business savviness as they go along. But they have somebody there that's just mm -hmm. the business savvy person. They're just a genius on it. I know performing artists, uh, pop artists, uh, singers. Um, 
musicians that their business is never going to be their thing, but they've got a business person that makes them millions and they don't do it. They don't focus on that. I, I can think of many of them I've consulted with that are famous musicians today and, and actors and things, and even sports personalities, business isn't their thing, but somebody in their equation has to care about them enough to structure their finances so they're not just blowing on immediate gratification their income. Because then what happens is when they get mature and they're not able to play football, for instance, they're pushed aside and their agent goes somewhere else and they've blown all their money. And that's what's foolish. But somebody who's savvy enough to put mm. something in place. I had a client that was incredible in the sports field, uh, was making a lot of money, but was squandering it because of the agent. And we structured that. And once we did... Uh, a certain portion on a yearly basis was going into actually passive income investments. And so once we put the right team together, the agent was doing their job, uh, wasn't keeping on the finance. We put a financial person that had savvy on that. The actual uh, celebrity sports individual was able to gradually pick up little bits and pieces along the way to know what's happening. But it was a gradual thing. The the learning curve on their own Mm. nature would have been too slow. So they put the team together. Mm-hmm. It's putting a quality team together for some industries. Other industries, it's to your advantage to know to run business. But, you know, managing a business, administrating a business and visualizing and being a visionary in the business are different things. And t- technically managing technology, all these are different skills. And I, I, I know to myself at age 27, I was at a convention one time where I was looking at the way the convention was set up. I saw there were the visionaries that had the biggest audience, that the managers had the middle audiences, and the technicians had the lowest, smallest breakout rooms. I said, I know where I want to go. I want to go into the visual area and hire the managers to take care of the technology. So I learned that at 27, and I, I, that was a very big uh, step for me to, to lead myself to do what I love doing, and I'm financially independent because I did that, and I get to teach, research, write, and travel today. Incredible. When we talk about motivation, uh, I'm a big believer in placing habits over motivation because um, I, I don't personally don't think that motivation ever lasts. And um, no matter how disciplined the person is, or, or no matter how you know motivated someone is, motivation is going to come and go. And last time we spoke, you spoke about the importance of having intrinsic motivation in particular and and understanding, as you said, your values and and your why and your purpose and not having to rely on external motivation from other people, other things, whether it's attending seminars, listening to podcasts like this, whatever it may be. Are you able to to explain to the listeners why you think it's important to not rely on motivation? Certainly. I'd love to. (laughs) Um, we'll use it. We'll take a, a, a 12 year old boy who loves video games. You've seen probably a, a young boy that loves that. No, loves his video games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do we have to motivate him to do his video games? Not at all. No. Or how about, um, I, I can think of a young boy I know that's now a professional soccer player. I've known him since he was very young, 12. And, um, he slept with a soccer ball. He dreamed about soccer. He had soccer posters everywhere. His house, his, he filled his space, his time, his energy, everything was soccer. 
well, now he's 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 in the big leagues now. You know, and I mean, he's only 18, 19 years old now, 19, I think. He's already playing big. And what's interesting is that's an intrinsic value. So nobody has had to motivate him to play soccer. I mean, that's hours and hours and hours on the end. But you might have to motivate him to do other things. And intrinsic drive is far more effective and efficient than extrinsic. It's far more motivating, intrinsically motivating than any external motivation. If you re- reward and punish mm-hmm. a guy for doing not doing his homework and say you can't play soccer unless you do your homework, and if you play so- if you, you do your homework now you can play soccer, you can motivate him, but it's nowhere near as intrinsically valuable. McGregor in 1960 said there was theory Y and theory X for people who worked in employment, and the theory Y people were intrinsically driven individuals, and they were engaged because they could see how their job description helped them fulfill what they valued most. And so they spontaneously want, love working. And they didn't. They, what's interesting, whenever you're doing something that's high in your values, the cytokines are more moderated and you have more of a wellness quotient. But if you're doing something that you feel you have to do, you got to do, should do, supposed to do, need to do, all extrinsically imperative, motivated, uh, you have a higher probability of having distress and autoimmune responses and, you know, anti or pro-inflammatory excess so you literally show it up in the signals in the brain and in the immune system when you're doing something that's intrinsic versus something extrinsic. And I know for myself, I mean, for 35 years, I slept four hours a day. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to have eight. I don't know. I've never had eight in my life. But I've, uh, you know, I'm 69 almost. So I'm, I'm still going. I still do 18, 20-hour days. I have no problem. And I, I don't think about it because – when you're doing something you really inspired and love doing. I had uh, dinner recently with one of the greatest pianists in the world. He's 80 years old and um, he still puts in, I mean, he used to do 13 hours a day practicing piano and, uh, and that was a common day for him. Jeez. And he's gone old world. He's done piano yeah, in almost so every major country. And, uh, and here's a guy that is 80 years old and has got more vitality than you imagine and still plays concert piano since he was three. He's been playing piano and nine since concert piano. So here he is 80 years old and he's just absolutely inspired by it, but he doesn't have anything else to do. He doesn't do anything else. Somebody else takes Mm. care of it. And that's the difference. So I can encourage people to either go do what you love through delegating or love what you do through linking. And the linking process is, is taking the actions that you know will enhance the empowerment of what you want to pursue in career, in business, and ask, how is doing these actions temporarily until I can delegate them, helping me fulfill my mission? And you answer that question 25 or 30 times until you're actually not resistant to doing it, and you spontaneously act. And don't stop asking that question and answering it until you spontaneously act. And But do it only until you can delegate it. You don't want to do low-priority things or you'll devalue yourself. You want to do high party things so you value yourself, and so will the world. Then, I love that, and um, I think so. When I when I look at your career so far, right, and you know, you just mentioned about how passionate you are about what you're doing, and it obviously shows in the amount of people you've added value to their lives is is incredible. You know. I, Last time we spoke about how you'd read over thirty thousand books, which is uh, which is very impressive. What what are the things that you're doing on a daily basis that are 
allowing you to maintain this level or this pace of of work and adding value to other people's lives and um, obviously you have the internal and the intrinsic drive there and the value there but are there certain thing practices that you're doing daily to take care of your mental and physical health whether it be meditation whether there's certain journaling practices are there certain questions you're asking yourself daily um, that are keeping you aligned with this with this mission of yours well <clears throat> I drink water every day. <laughs> I don't have tea or coffee or alcohol or anything like that. I think that has probably a little bit of a factor. I do not live to eat. I eat to live. So I don't waste my time contemplating food. I ask myself, what's the highest priority, most performing food I can feed my body and I stick to it. I, um, eat very simple, very wisely, I think. And um, so I don't go out and extravagantly fill myself and gorge and I, I don't have any of those things. I'm fulfilled, so I don't need to go and overfill myself with other things. Uh, so I don't, I don't fluctuate on my, my weight. I'm pretty well a stable, same thing. And some people think, well, you know, you have a very tight routine. Well, I've narrowed down over the last 50 years what's the highest priority foods to eat. And so I try to stick to the things I diversify them, but it's, there's a certain pattern there and I stick to it. Cause I, I like, I like to think of it this way. If you're a woman and you're about to get married in 15 days and you want to get into that dress and look your best and feel the greatest on the day of the wedding, you now have a purpose to make sure that you eat wisely and, you know, fill your day with, mm -hmm. with the most important things. But if you don't have anything meaningful to do, you don't have the executive center govern your amygdala and you're more likely to live to eat instead of eat to live, <clears throat> eat to perform. So I eat to perform. I drink fluids to perform. I Every single day, I already know my priorities. I've been doing prioritization for 40-something years. I learned that on a daily basis, two things help me. I went to speak in Dallas at the Anatole with for Mary Kay Cosmetics Company, and I met with Mary Kay Ash. And I asked her, what advice can you give a young man who's aspiring to travel the world and speak in every country? I've now reached 193 countries speaking. And I, uh, I asked her that back 38 yeah. years ago. And uh, I said, what advice can you give? She said, every day, write down the six or seven highest priority actions you can do that day that can help you fulfill your dream and stick to those. And then make sure they're chunked into small bites and get done that day. Don't have goal overrun where you've got projects that just keep lingering and you never get them done. <clears throat> so I learned to set very concise, small, incremental objectives for the day that are the highest priority thing. And I kept them on index cards and I wrote them down and I focused on them and I got into a, a kind of a tier of gratitude, gratitude state before I wrote them. So it's the most authentic I could be. And then I kept those. Mm -hmm. And then I looked over a period of time. What was the highest priorities of the highest priorities of the highest priorities? And for me, teach, research, write, and travel. <laughs> it was very clear. And that's exactly what I found yeah. when I was just looking at what my priorities were. So I already knew what it is. So I said, it's my responsibility to become so great at that, that I become a value in the world and provide the most in-depth, the most broadest, most empowering information I could present that people would want to pay for. So I can then delegate everything else off my plate. 
So I slowly delegated everything else. There's nothing left. I, I mean, I haven't cooked since I was 24. I haven't driven a car in 33 years. <laughs> I've got somebody that cleans the room. Haven't driven a car a in 33 years. 33 years. I haven't driven. I have no desire to drive. It's not not that's not my thing. Most men love it. I guess I'm not much of a man. But I um, I have no desire. I'd rather be in the back researching or writing or doing interviews or consulting in a back of a limo than I would be driving a car. To me, that's a technical thing. I can hire somebody for a whole lot less than I can make on my own. I'd rather be on your show in the back of a car than I would be driving. Now, some people love driving. If you love driving, then you want to drive. But I have absolutely zero interest (laughs) in driving. That's gone. So I have somebody that cooks. I have somebody that's uh, my captain for my ship. I have somebody that a concierge for transport. I've got somebody that cleans the rooms twice a day. I got. I even have a clock changer. So when I go from time zone to time zone on my <laughs> ship as I travel around the world, I got somebody comes in and change the clocks for me. So I don't even do that because it's distracting. I want to make sure that everything is delegated. Uh, you know, my my girlfriend says, "Have you? Can you delegate to George Clooney the lovemaking?" And I said, I'll take care of that. I'll get George on the phone and we'll get that. You take care of that. He says, I'll love you even more. No, I'm joking there. But but the point is that I, I, I found that delegation was what I am pretty good at. I'm, 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 I don't want to be doing – anytime you do something that's low on, lower on your values, you devalue yourself. And you have mm. to now have an incentive, an external incentive. So I always see that – External incentives required to do something are indicators of what you want to delegate and reminders no, of what think- you want to master. You want to master what your, your highest value is. You want to find that one thing, as Gary Keller says, that one thing that you're great at and become so masterful at it that nobody can compete on it. So you're, you're the top of the line on that. And then you'll make a bigger difference and you delegate the rest away. I think – Hearing you talk about delegation today has has really sparked something inside me. Anyway, it's something that I've never really been that good at, particularly starting starting my my business with not much experience around business whatsoever. Just following like what my passion was over the years, delegating has definitely been something that I have struggled with, and I've gotten a lot better at it recently. But after hearing you talk about it today, it's something that I really want to prioritize and and really lean into a little bit more, Doctor John. Uh, the secret that came out in 2006 and we obviously talked about this a little bit on the last the last episode being such an impactful book and and adding value to so many people's lives what are there are there any things that you wish people had more clarity on since reading the secret i think obviously since then i think ronda's put out the greatest secret as well but um are there certain aspects of manifesting in the law of attraction that you think have been bypassed or a little misunderstood um, since the secret came out that, that you would like to kind of, I guess, clarify or add some more kind of detail to? Yeah, I think the secret behind the secret left out of the secret was to not uh, spend your time on anything that devalues you and to concentrate your effort, spontaneous actions towards the thing that is deeply meaningful to you. That's how you have a most meaningful life. The ancient Greeks called the highest value, the telos, the end in mind, which means the end in mind. And the study of that was called teleology, which is a study of meaning and purpose. Your very highest value is your meaningful purpose. It is your inspired mission. It's where you spontaneously act. 
It's what your identity, your ontological identity revolves around and your epistemological pursuit of excellence is in the path of. So to me, anything less than that doesn't make any sense. And to do the highest priority actions towards that is the key. You know, Bill Gates, some people like him, some people don't. But um, Bill Gates is quoted as saying that he asked himself a question. Um, what is the highest priority action I can do today that serves the greatest number of people in the most effective and efficient manner that with the resources I have today that would inspire me? That's a great question. So he mm -hmm. looks at the world and he asks, and, and by the way, the, the, your life is a reflection of the problems you solve. So if you go and look and you care about human beings enough to find out what the biggest needs in the world are, the biggest problems in the world are, and find the one that you would love to fulfill and solve directly or indirectly, that's one of the keys to building wealth. Because the bigger the problem, the bigger the wealth potential. Wealth is nothing more than a sustainable, fair exchange for solving big problems in vast numbers of people's lives. So if you care enough about humanity to serve vast numbers of people by solving their problems and filling their needs, then that's one of the most fulfilling things. I've asked people, millions of people, how many have had the most, most meaningful moment in their life? Most people will say, when I've done something that's made some sort of contribution to people's lives that I love doing, that, and somebody said, thank you, you made a difference in my life. That's, the, that's what the fulfillment is. So why not fulfill your life by doing something that fulfills others? <laughs> I don't mean sacrificing altruistically yeah, for them at your expense. And I don't mean sacrificing them at your expense. Both altruism is short-lived and narcissism don't work, doesn't work long-term. What does work is sustainable fair exchange where both people are getting what they want out of a fair exchange. Mm. And that's where wealth is. Wealth is nothing more than a mastery of the fair exchange principle. Yeah, incredible insight. That's awesome. Well, you mentioned fulfillment and the importance of that in adding value to other people's lives. Obviously, you've been doing this for a very long time now and the amount of people that you've impacted um, is an incredible list. But is there anyone, I know this might be a hard question for you to answer, but is there anyone in particular or any instance in particular that really stands out to you where you felt like you have made the biggest impact to someone's life or something that, that just you really remember and kind of hold on to that has impacted you the way that the, the other person on the other end of it has, has been um, impacted? Well, I've had the opportunity to work with all kinds of people at all scales of society, you know, from royalty down to poverty <laughs> and from celebrity to an unknown. I've had the whole spectrum, but I was in, Cape Town, South Africa, near the waterfront at the Weston Arbella Hotel many years ago. And I had about 800 people in my class. It was an evening class. And it was about personal finance. And I, I believe I helped quite a few people that night with insights. But way in the back of the room, way, way in the back was a young boy who's 14 years old. I didn't get to meet him that night, but
but he was back there. And whatever I said touched him. And that was September that year. In December, I was back in the same hotel doing another gig to another 800 so people. That's about as big as we could get in that room without having fire code problems. And at the end of it, I was signing books and taking pictures and doing hugs, you know, you do at the end of presentations like that. And finally, this patient young boy, 14-year-old boy, was waiting and waiting, waiting to the very end. And he comes up to me at the very end. He's got a rope around his loops and his pants tied. He's got pants that are brought up two or three times. They're much longer. They're kind of worn out, a bit dirty, and a shirt with some holes in it. He looks like he's from the township, and he was. He's from Kailicha Township. He's 14 years old, and he comes up to me, and he says, Dr. Martini, you inspired me. And I said, how so? He said, well, I was here in September, and I came to your class, and it made me think in a way I never thought before. And I saw new possibilities for my life. And I just want to say thank you. That's what I'm here for. Again, I want to get another piece of that. And I said, what happened? He says, well, my mother and father both died of AIDS. I have nine brothers and sisters, and I'm the oldest. I'm 14. So I'm responsible for raising those kids. We live in a shack, a little shack in Kailicha. It has no, no floor. It's made of tin and got a plastic bags on top covering up the holes. It's rusted. It doesn't have electricity. And we have to walk to water and we have to walk to the, to the bathrooms. But after I listened to your speech, I made a decision that I was going to save a portion of my income. You see, I work at a, at a brick factory, a mud brick factory. And I stack mud bricks in the sun. And then I have to make sure that they dry. And then I stack them. And we sell mud bricks. And I said, fantastic. He says, I make 60 cents a day. 15 cents a day goes to a woman to take care of the kids and to teach the kids. 15 cents goes to savings, which I never did before. And the other 30 cents goes for us to live on. Because you said that if we have immediate gratification, it will cost us and we'll be working as slaves all our life. So I had to figure out how to save 15%, 25% of my income. I didn't think that was possible, but I found that it was. So I've saved $7.50 since I saw you last. And I'm working towards having $30 saved by the end of next year. And I'm going to put $20 down on a new house for the family where it's going to have a light bulb and electricity and it's going to be having water nearby and it'll have a, a bit of a cement floor so we don't have to get in the mud when it rains. So, so I am inspired by what I've been able to do. I never thought I could save. And now I know I can save no matter what. And I've got a dream house. And I've got a dream to inspire many, many young boys that are in my situation because they're all over the Kailicha. And I have a dream to inspire at least a thousand of them to do the same so they can get out of their poverty hole. Well, when he spoke to me and told me what he was going through, 
I thought, well, I could easily hand him $200 and go buy that, that little house. But then I would rob him of, of dignity, accountability, responsibility, and productivity, and the confidence of going out and doing something amazing with his life and knowing he could do it. Then he said to me, he says, you inspired me because you told me that whenever you do something, do it at your greatest, and then always ask for what I can do more. So get whatever you've been asked to do done and then ask, what else can I do? What else can I do? How else can I serve? Because anybody who employs people is always looking for something like that and they'll offer bigger opportunities and you'll grow your wealth. So he said that that's what's happening and I'm going to get a raise soon and I'm going to get a new opportunity and I know I'm going to buy myself out of this situation. So that Christmas, the following year, I got to see that little house. So that is not a celebrity. He's not a powerful royalty. He's not somebody that's got a big business at that time. But today he does. So that to me is doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters if you have a dream. And are you willing to do what it takes to get the dream? And are you stopping the external false attribution biases of the reasons why you can't from the outside and the false attribution biases and fantasies of somebody's going to rescue from the outside. And are you now going to change your perception, decisions and actions and go and do the things that bring greatness? Well, he inspired me as much as I inspired him. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a, it's an incredible story. Um, yeah, that's unreal. Thanks so much for sharing that. I appreciate it a lot. Dr. John, what are, what's something that you're most grateful for um, to this current day? Well, I keep an ongoing gratitude journal and I type in that every single day of my life. It's around 9,000 pages. It's 10 point print, one inch margins. You can imagine what's in there. It's a lot. But I was going to show you that I've already typed in my gratitude for the opportunity to be interviewed by you today. Ah, incredible. So I, That's awesome. So I have, I have you in there. Every time I do an interview, every time I finish another book or, you know, do another article or get to do a TV show, a radio show or, or a presentation or a seminar, which I do a lot of throughout the year, I document it. Every time I get to meet amazing people, um, which I get to meet weekly, um, I document it. Every time I get to go to places around the world, that are inspiring and amazing, which I get to every week, well, every few days, because I travel, you know, I live on a ship. So I'm going around the world. So I have a lot to be grateful Hang for. Hang on, you I, live on a I ship? On, yeah, I, I live on a ship. Uh, I've been living on there almost, well, this is going on my 22nd year. So I've just, I travel around the world on a ship and uh, go to countries all over the world because of that. But I, uh, yeah, I, I have a lot to be grateful for. I was born on Thanksgiving Day. My mom told me when I was four to be grateful for what I've got, and I'll get more to be grateful for. And I've been following that since I was four. That's amazing. I think for a lot of people who are who are starting to practice gratitude, obviously um, it's become a lot more, I guess you could say, mainstream or popular in the last few years, and uh, which is an incredible thing. Um, and I think for anyone who does practice it, 
you have the understanding of of how good it can feel and and you know i'm sure you know this better than me and i'll probably stuff this one up but I, apparently there's something like if you know you can't feel um what was it you can't have a negative emotion while you're feeling gratitude or something along those lines right what is actually going on um in the body or in the mind when we feel gratitude like why does it feel so good to be grateful for what we have well, first, I want to distinguish between a superficial false gratitude and a deeply meaningful, authentic confirmation gratitude or grace. I'd like to make that distinction. Because if somebody comes up to you and hands you something or says to you something nice, it's easy to be grateful. You know, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's sort mm -hmm. of a superficial thing. And you get kind of a dopamine rush on it temporarily. But there's another more profound gratitude or grace when you see the hidden order in the apparent chaos that's challenging your life. I just had the opportunity to work with a lovely lady that's going through a divorce and I asked her some questions and I had her brought to tears in seeing what she was resenting as something actually on the way, not in the way. And she was actually in tears of gratitude at the end. And I said, and she had tears and she said, now I'm grateful for what I thought was something terrible and something mean and cruel. And I said that that form of gratitude is way more profound than than easy gratitude when something is supporting your your endeavors. So the physiology, what's interesting is we confuse gratitude with a little dopamine rush and we get a little high and we get a little, yep. you know, you know, that that to me, that's not where it's at. That's I'm not negating it. I'm grateful for people wanting to do something for me and stuff, but Sometimes it comes with it an obligation and, and you become dependent and you, you know, you now feel entitled and there's, there's downsides to that. But a real gratitude, a real grace is when you're authentic. When you exaggerate yourself and look down on people, that's not you. When you minimize yourself and look up at people, that's not you. But when you look heart to heart and realize that whatever you see in them is inside you, that's you. And that's when you can actually realize that the people that you resent are reflecting the parts of your life that you're ashamed of and they're reminding you of it. That's why you're wanting to avoid them and dissociate from the shame and mm -hmm. go into a pride and look down on them. And the same thing on the people you admire, it's that it, you may be too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you, but you have it. And the real truth is that you wouldn't admire them if it wasn't reminding you of something you've already done in your life and it's there to remind you, but you're just too humble to admit it. And so when you finally have a reflective awareness where the seer, the seeing, the seen are the same, and you don't put people up or down, you just put them in your heart. They're not on pedestals or pits, and they're not prey or predators. They're just reflective people that the divine in you, namaste, that recognizes the divine in me kind of state. In that state, you, you don't have a parasympathetic, which gets you into a delta wave, or a sympathetic, which gets you into a beta wave. You get a perfect synchronicity of those together, which gets you an alpha theta wave. And that eight cycle per second cycle activates a gamma synchronicity in the brain and literally synchronizes a sinoatrial nard in the heart. And you feel an open heart. You get tears of gratitude. You have a eureka moment. You see the hidden order and the apparent chaos. And you realize there's nothing to fix in you relative to others or others relative to you. And now you have where human will now matches what used to be called by the philosopher's divine will. And now there's the implicate order, as David Bohm says, of the hidden order in the apparent chaos, and you're graced. That gratitude is the one I like to document daily.
Yeah, that's an awesome explanation. Thank, thanks so much for sharing that. That's um, yeah, understanding that difference, as you said, um, having the gratitude from something that you've just gained some form of benefit or that instant gratification, uh, gratitude in comparison to. Yeah, I, I really like that explanation. What's the question that you? Sorry, you you're going to say something. Well, uh, Aristotle and some of the Stoics before. Um, talked about eudaimonia versus hedonistic. And hedonism is the pursuit of immediate gratification. And when you get it, you kind of have a entitled gratitude. And then eudaimonia is where you have mm. deep meaning. And uh, this is like Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps asking, how can, how can I be of service and have meaning and find meaning even in these challenging situations? I think the thing that distinguishes us from the animal is the ability to find meaning. And not just, you know, any animal can go and avoid pain and seek pleasure and go run after prey and try to avoid predator. That's not what distinguishes us. It's the ability to extract meaning. And meaning is the mean between the excess and deficiency of perceptions, as Aristotle said. And meaning, the extracting meaning out of our existence is when you're in fatuism and you're conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides, your intuition is trying to point out the downsides so you can be fully conscious. And when you're resentful and you're conscious of the downsides and unconscious of the upsides, your intuition is trying to point out the upsides and to find meaning and so you can fully be fully conscious. So meaning is being able to allow your intuition to reveal the unconscious to make you fully conscious. And when you're fully conscious, you see the order and you don't have disorder. Claude Shannon says that disorder was missing information, which is another name for the unconscious. And the hidden order is when you finally understand the hidden variables and see the order to what's happening. When I was 18 years old, I was studying thermodynamics and, and understanding the difference between order and disorder. And, and I wanted to find what's the hidden order in human behavior. That was my dream at age 18. I spent 50 years plus pursuing that. And that's why I teach the breakthrough experience to because I've developed a method on helping people find the hidden order in their parent chaos where they can have a grace state. That, that is the most amazing thing I get to do every week. The most amazing thing. Wow, mate, that's amazing. Look, we are, speaking of gratitude, we are extremely grateful um, for your time again today, Dr. John. One last question is that I have for you before we wrap up, mate, is what's a question that you wish people asked you more often? If they were to ask me, uh, you know, what is it that I love doing that I feel that is my greatest contribution and how can I help you bring that to the world? I, I can always appreciate that. Awesome. That's amazing. Dr. John, you're an incredible human, mate. Um, and you've added so much value to so many people's lives. And I really do appreciate you coming back on the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, um, you know, one of those guests that I feel like I could just sit here and chat with all day and take away so much value. But um, your time is extremely valuable. So we do appreciate it a lot. And for those that are listening or watching this episode, um, Dr. John has been super kind to give you guys access to a, a free masterclass, which we have linked in the show notes, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, so thank you so much for that, Dr. John. Um, mate, we appreciate your time so much. And and I'm sure all the, the listeners and people watching this episode have taken away immense value. So um, thank you so much. Thank you. You're the one that's helped me. You helped me help other people. So we're working as a team. Thank you. 
Incredible. All right, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. And for those that are watching or listening, uh, if you've taken some value from this episode, which I have absolutely no doubt that you have, we would love for you to take a screenshot of this one, share it on your Instagram story, tag myself, tag Dr. John Demartini. We'll have the links to all of Dr. John's work, his website, social media, and everything in the show notes as well. Um, and we hope you have a fantastic day. Yeah.